We're proud to have this episode sponsored by ShakePay, the easiest way for Canadians to buy and earn Bitcoin. I love using ShakePay because it's fast, it's easy, the app is great, and it doesn't hurt that they give away free sats, which is free Bitcoin every day just for shaking your phone. They also have the ShakePay prepaid Visa card issued by People's Trust that earns you up to 2% cash back in Bitcoin. Not points you have to redeem, just Bitcoin added to your account automatically. Like I said, ShakePay really is the easiest way for Canadians to buy and earn Bitcoin. So join the over 1 million Canadians already on ShakePay. Sign up is fast and free. It's so easy, a boomer can do it. Plus, sign up for ShakePay with the promo code LOONIEHOUR and you'll receive $10 after you buy your first $100 worth of Bitcoin. That's promo code LOONIEHOUR. Thank you, ShakePay. Now back to the show. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour, episode 68. As always, joined by the three amigos, we got Rich Diaz of Acorn Macro Consulting, and we got Keith Dicker of Icecap Asset Management in his San Fran 49ers jersey. Congrats on the win, Boomer. We've been winning for a long time now. I think they've won 12 straight. Anyway, I like football. It, it's my thing. It's you know, it's like nine-dimensional chess compared to everything else. And uh, we got another one this weekend. Could be the second last game. Well, it is the second last game of the year. What's so your prediction? So this this jersey I have, I bought this back in the 19, 1930s, I think, when they first <laughs> discovered gold out west. You know, I got this in the early 80s. And uh, so I, I've been out for a few games out on the West Coast. And three different times, people try to buy it. They try to buy it from me. They're like, well, where do you really? get that? That's cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, you just can't get, you know, this thing. Like the long arms, the sleeves and, and stuff. Um, but Who was uh, the quarterback back then? It is Joe Montana. Okay. That's, he, he was pretty good. He played okay for a while. <laughs> What's going on, Rich? So what do you got going I, on I, overseas? Um, nothing. It's a rainy, crappy day in London. Um, just hiding out here um the love loft no sadly <laughs> i've been i've been i've been kicked off the island <laughs> um so back to square one um all alone with a broken heart at least i have you guys and at least i have my charts my so my charts keep me uh keep me happy we'll get you we'll get you going at the calgary stampede this summer that's right that's right um but no i'm, I'm ready to go boys i'm uh let's, let's kick it off Keith, when you start, when you watch those 49ers games, you and Mrs. Ice Cab, those, those are like late, aren't you? Like you're over in Halifax, so like the time zone. I'm surprised you're able to stay up for those games. No, the NFL, it's a machine. You know, the games, they, they start. What time do they one, start? 1 p.m. Like, 1 p.m. Eastern and, and 4 Eastern. So if you're a West Coast team, you're playing at 4 Eastern, which is 5 o'clock here. If you get like the Sunday nighter or something. Yeah, those can be tough. You need a nap in the afternoon on the, on those days. There, is, there it is. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, but Mrs. Icecap, she has a uh, Frank Gore jersey and all that. So uh, and Junior has a jersey, and you know, same with the wee one. We're all into but, it. It's fun. It sounds like a ride. I might become a 49ers fan just so I can get invited to the uh, the Icecap. Going going to a, a like NFL football game, the full experience, like you go tailgating and and everything. You know, it's a good like seven, eight hour a day, you know, to do it right. What do you do? You show up with your fancy bottle of Pinot Noir, the tailgate. <laughs> you, He's not the only one. It's, it's a... Northern California. Of course, there's going to be loads of people with Pinot Noir and, and charcuterie. You know, the and craziest place I've ever been to for a game for fun was, was in Buffalo a few years ago. Like it was just outstanding. Those guys, uh, as, as the guy I was with, uh, he, I said, wow, like these guys are, you know, they're having a lot of fun. To which he looked at me and he said, Keith, this is the only thing all Ouch. these people have going for them. That's it. Eight nights a year, you know, they get to have fun. And then it's, you know. And then they lose in the playoffs. In. They get they get kicked, their asses kicked by Joe Burrow, which was a great, was a great game. 
it happens. So, Steve, what do you got here today? Yeah, you know, let's, or, jump, uh, let's jump into maybe, it. We had our... Maybe the Bank of Canada just, you know, they, oh. they just made a big move. No one saw maybe. Yeah, the uh, first in the G7 out of the gates coming out with a big pause. Uh, so it was uh, 25 basis points, which was largely, largely expected, uh, not only from all the economists, but it's funny. I did a little Twitter poll uh, a week out before, and it was like, you know, I think we had, what, almost 5,000 people voted, you know, and 70%. So as Rich says, you know, the audiences, the markets, the markets, markets usually right. So the market was calling for 25. We got the 25 and uh, we got a, looks like a pause from Tiff Macklin with the Bank of Canada. So I'll kind of just read a quick summary. Keith, you and I will jump into it because I know we watched the whole presser there, but, you know, he says, quote, uh, in, in his presser, he goes, with today's modest increase, we expect to pause rate hikes while we assess the impacts. To be clear, this is a conditional pause. It's conditional on economic develop, uh, economic developments evolving broadly in line with our outlook. Uh, and of course, his outlook is what he's referring to in his monetary policy report, which we'll uh, which we'll dive into. But Rich, uh, you lost the Twinkie bet this week. Uh, what do you I'm- got for us? I'm very sad. Um, so Twinkies are banned in the UK because of some dye that they <laughs> put in it. So I found something full of more chemicals and more disgusting than a Twinkie, believe it or not. And it's a gluten-free. <laughs> I thought you were going to say coconut, a lemon loaf. <laughs> a gluten-free coconut macaroon. Now, if you're if anyone out there knows me, they know that I absolutely hate coconut. And the only thing I hate worse than coconut is anything gluten-free, because I think that's a bunch of BS. So there you go. It's called Mrs. Crumbles, gloriously gluten-free. And I can see the package. There it is. I I don't know. Those look pretty good. I don't know. Gluten-free is just such. He looks looks like an English lady I dated in the 50s. I That's, also hate uh, coconut. Hate coconut. It's my, I think I'm going to send you like a, a lifetime box of. All right, so here you go. Um, yeah, I screwed up. I, I guess I, 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 I owe it to our fans and you guys that uh, I, I don't know. I thought I should have known that Tiff Macken was not going to surprise anybody twice in one in one count in one uh, in one 12 month period. Um, there were some really good good questions which I hope you guys get into while I scarf this disgusting Mrs. Well, Crumble. Speak- so. Speaking of lemon loaves, uh, <laughs> I actually have one because I just love these things. And I was concerned Rich wouldn't have anything there to, to eat. So, uh, so you're, you'll, yeah, you're like, I'll do it for you. I'll take the uh, take one for the team there. I mean, look at this. Look at this. That it's looks nice, though. And... The best part of those lemon you loaves. Smell lemon? You actually the smell the lemon. No, that comes off the, the white ribbon. You take that off? Yeah. Even you don't eat it? Eat, no. Oh man, that's. You don't I, I don't thing? have a, I don't have a sweet tooth. No, this is this so is that, this, yeah, this is disappointing. Um, but yeah, I mean, so it's getting back go. to this. Those mark. not those not following on the video channel. I just took the white ribbon off, and now it's a proper. Jesus. Lemon loaf. Okay, let's get into the Bank of Canada stuff. What they Mo- said bro. and didn't say. Yeah, we've got the monetary policy report. So, you know, I mean, you guys can go and download it. I mean, it's 20 pages. It's basically just the update their sort of projections and how they're forecasting inflation and whatnot. So, um, you know, they've got, uh, they're basically, to kind of summarize it, um, they're basically forecasting like a soft landing. So they're, you know, they're calling for a slight reduction in housing activity, uh, you know, a soft landing in, in the economy. And that's basically, even under that assumption, assuming that they do hit this miracle, they have like, I think they have inflation getting down into by to 3% by this summer. And then I think to 2.6, I believe it was 2.6% by the end of this year. And then back down to their official 2% target in 2024. So, a lot of you know, hopes, ifs, and buts. I mean, the reality is they had their inflation call horrendously wrong over the last eighteen months. So it's really hard to put too too much stock into this. But you know, so it's a complicated world. But I, you know, Keith, I don't know if you have any thoughts on you know on the monetary policy report and some of the projections. Really, I mean, we'll get into the housing as well because I think that's important. There's a lot of a lot of developments that are happening right now. We chat a little bit of the last couple of weeks, but uh, we'll we'll get into that as well. So uh, I think, you know, I, I don't trust the Bank of Canada. I, I find they're, they're not. <laughs> it's not a lack of trust because 
you know, I think they're trying to screw people over. I just don't trust him. And I, I find they're very inconsistent with what they're doing and then, and what they're communicating. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, uh, so a couple of things with it, first of all, you know, they did say they're pausing now, but they're going to be on hold until, you know, they'll follow data coming through. Um, usually, and this is like 19% of the time, central banks, once they pause, they, they pause, the next move is down. And usually, uh, you know, it takes eight to 15 months or so before the next move happens. So, you know, people shouldn't expect the Bank of Canada to start cutting rates suddenly now this summer or something like that. I don't think that will happen. But these guys, the Bank of Canada, I can actually see them raise rates again. If they don't get the desired outcome that they're, you know, they're hoping that they're going to have, then you know, they, they can do that. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, the other thing is, in, in our view, the economy hasn't behaved yet in the way they would want it to to bring inflation down here in Canada. So with inflation rolling over, I think it's mostly just a mathematical, you know, um, reality. Game. Reality. Th yeah, thank you, Rich. I think that's what's really happening. And with them pausing rates, I, I am convinced that, I think at the Toronto event, I said, I, I think the Bank of Canada is a bit spooked. Remember back then, I said they'll do zero. And I think they did like 100 or something, but uh, they, they did a lot more than zero. It was 50 they did. But I, I think underneath the system that they are having concerns that, you know, they something might fall off. And I, I think they're actually frightened to death that we do go into anything other than a soft landing. Because they, you know, if anyone listens to the, listened to the presser yesterday, uh, they, they took a victory lap. They were running around. So, yeah, we did it, you know, high-fiving and, you know, chest bumping is the way, you know, economists do it, a ch an awkward chest bump. Do you do that, Rich? Maybe that's what you should do on a date. When you do it. Hey. I, I think I, they would call the cops on me. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the 50s, Keith. You can't just walk up to girls and do whatever you want. You have to respect them and be polite and, and uh, ask for consent, I think, is the new thing. Okay. So with, with the Bank of Canada, though, I, I think something has, has been moving here in, in, in the wrong direction. And I think they're uh, they're now concerned about it. And they're waiting to see, hey, with, with these you know rate hikes. Because, you know, they, they went, what, four and a quarter? They basically went from, you know, zero to four and a half, basically. Yeah, 0 0.25 to four and a half. And yeah. Less than 12 it, months. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, and now they're saying, okay, let's let's see what happens here. But their base case is that it is a soft landing. And everyone else out there is saying, yeah, it's going to be a soft landing. You've achieved it. You know, the Americans are sort of talking about, about the same thing. Um, I'm skeptical. I, I think it's going to be very difficult for this, you know, this mythical soft landing to arrive. And usually, you know, you, you jump out of the window and that nice big, you know, uh, big pillow thing they have that the firefighters that as soon as you're about to hit it, they yank it out or, or something. So if we do get this thump coming up, yeah, I, I think it could bring all of us back to uh, reality. Because I think right now with financial markets, especially so far in January, um, everything, you know, it's been risk on again. Yeah. And we'll see what happens. But it's it's sort of, it's based on, again, the hope that, you know, a soft landing is achieved, you know, China comes back online and, and all that stuff. But let's make no mistake about it. The, the Bank of Canada moved yesterday. Uh, like that, that was a bit of a shocker. Because, you know, again, they, they set the precedent that, they should continue to raise rates, and then out of the blue, they just said, "No, we're, we're stopping." So that you, you should be concerned about that. You think it was? You think it was a shocker, though? Like, I mean, I feel like it was pretty well telegraphed that it was going to be twenty-five and a pause, and maybe just like, in that, and the markets had it priced in that as well. Yeah, they you had twenty-five see, like, priced in. Yeah, but yeah. in terms of, it, it, but that's my point though. With the Bank of Canada, like they're on, they're unpredictable, and if you base your outlook based on what they're talking about and what they're looking for. You know, they, they haven't achieved that yet. So their pause right now, it's based on what might happen in the economy, uh, whether it's three, six or, or nine months from now. So we'll, we'll keep talking about it and keep watching. I, yeah, I think so they, we're going to get something hitting hard. They did revise. So they revised, you look at their monetary policy report, they revised GDP forecasts slightly higher, and then they revised their inflation uh, lower. So 
kind of the, the best of both outcomes really, which is obviously your soft landing. Uh, but that ultimately brings your prime rate uh, to 6.7% now. So most Canadian banks are at that prime of 6.7, which really much puts your variable rate mortgage now I know usually prime minus whatever. So, you know, even if you're prime minus half, prime minus 0.75 today is typically what you're seeing. So puts most of your variable rate mortgages, if you're getting one um, today, would be about 6% now, which means you're stress tested at 8%. Uh, so there's still there's still more pain there. And if you're a variable mortgage rate holder, you know, the extra 25 basis points uh, would the imp impact those on floating rates, trigger rates. I mean, I feel like so many people now at this point, anyone that had a fixed payment variable has been triggered uh, and has seen their payments increase. So that, that will, you know, they'll still feel them. I think the big thing here is like, I'm, I'm struggling to see. So like the housing market, there's a, there's a large portion of it. that's obviously on variable floating rates. You got all this like household debt. So people like assuming that rates even just pause and they stay at these levels for the, let's say the next, you know, 12 months, that still seems to me it's going to be, very painful for a lot of people. And we're hearing like anecdotally, you know, you know, seeing a few more foreclosures, you're hearing the lawyers are getting busy, they're ramping up their files. So to me, there still seems like there's that pain that's coming. There's that sort of default cycle, but anecdotally, what we're seeing in the housing market is it, it's active. It's busy. Um, Vancouver's busy. Uh, Toronto, we're getting reports, you know, our, our good buddy, listener of the show, uh, we're actually going to have him on the pod here very soon. Ron Butler, uh, you know, who's, who's, you know, reporting mortgage volumes are busier. You know, if you follow the red, the CEO of Redfin was out, you know, put like a uh, Twitter thread out uh, a couple days ago, reporting that all of Redfin's sort of, uh, analytics, I mean, they've got insane amount of analytics, right? They're one of the largest, uh, you know, websites for searching MLS listings in the public and saying that, you know, they're reporting increase in, in showing requests and all this other stuff. And yeah, just chatting with realtors myself, even in the US. So it's really interesting because like, you're like, well, rates are still really high. The Fed might still push rates higher. What's what's going on? Is this just like the bear market rally? Is this the suckers rally? Is this the beginning of, you know, us bottoming and, and moving on? Uh, Keith, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, Rich. Like I'd love to... Well, it's the same sentiment in the equities market. Like, yeah, well, I mean, I definitely have some views on the equity and, and risk assets, but, but I think I'll just put a pin in that for a second and maybe we can circle around, but just one more thing on the bank of Canada, uh, you know, Keith said, you know, it's basically a hopeful pause, I think is a fair with, you know, some, you know, issues and that they're looking will improve and to go their way basically to sort of validate um, their outlook. But one thing we saw today was the wage growth numbers out of Canada that actually went up again. Um, so we, you know, we've talked a lot about how the U.S. wage growth is extremely like at a twenty-year high, uh, depending if you're, you know, low income or high income, or even if you're an hourly worker or a salary worker. Especially if you're very young, you've got incredible, incredible wage growth. Um, Canada, you haven't had anywhere near the, the wage growth, um, but it did ratchet higher to I think four point two. I tried to I usually smooth my series, but nearly four percent um, nominal wage growth. Um, and you have really strong employment. So, you know, yes, you're getting some relief, relief, you know, from the Bank of Canada's perspective, you're getting some relief on the, the price on the CPI and you're seeing core CPI peak and, and in some cases come down. Um, there are expectations that we'll get to three by the end of this year. We'll see. But I think on the other, you know, that they're, they're a sort of a dual mandate. Um, it's not clear. It's not as explicit as it is in the Fed, but they're a dual mandate, bank, a central bank. And the other mandate is... Um, you know, uh, wages, sorry, uh, the labor market, and you have unemployment, which is at, at like, I think, maybe it's an all time low or series low or approaching it, you have wage growth that's rising, you have employment, say what you want about those series, but you know, 100,000 jobs a year, who knows if it's right or wrong, the point is, it's going in that right direction. So it's interesting that they took that victory lap, when you have, you know, a bunch of things lining up on sort of the other side of their mandate that would would suggest that further rate hikes are actually necessary despite all the, you know, all the, the whining in the, in the housing market. Keith. Yeah. Um, again, I'm, I'm not convinced because now, you know, th this week we, we were starting to get earnings reported 
by a lot of the big companies in, in the US. And, and the actual earnings number, you know, most of them are in line with expectations, but it's, it's the warnings afterwards. Uh, some have warned lower, others, you know, they always usually you provide a range of what your revenue will be and your and your, you know, your uh, your earnings will be. And everything is coming off a little bit softer here. And you know, again, so that that's bottom up. That's what we're looking at. A lot of the stuff that we talk about is top down. You can aggregate this, ag aggregate that. Um, again, it just seems to suggest to me that the economy it's, it's not it hasn't rolled over yet. I mean, we, we'll get the Q four U.S. Uh, GDP numbers which came out, which is backward looking, of course, right? We all know that. But I, I don't, especially for the Americans, I don't think. The central banks have yet achieved what they want to. So this right. sudden rebound, we'll, we'll see. I mean, you know, you 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 want it to sort of to stay like this. I mean, the best case scenario would be to have six quarters of like you know minus a half to plus a half growth, you know, for that long, and then things sort of get sorted out that way. Again, I'm I'm a bit skeptical about where we are with, with this cycle. Well, that's what's interesting know? about. Well, I was going to say just more on more further to that point is as you've seen the rates get higher and higher, you've seen financial conditions actually improve. So there's different ways that you can measure financial conditions. There's you know like an equity risk premium. You can there's um, you could look at literally like you know CDS spreads. You can look at literally something called the financial conditions index, which is produced by either Goldman Sachs or the Federal Reserve. Um, you can look at the 10-year bond yield, which is now, you know, I was at 4.3%, or, you know, just maybe, I can't remember, four or five months ago, and is now the 3.48, I can't remember exactly what the number it is today, but, you know, so different ways, so you, it's 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 funny how even though you've had higher and higher rates, actually, the, the conditions have actually, for, you know, the financial conditions are actually much lower. Another thing that's come down is credit spreads in Europe a lot. We get that European uh, corporate bonds are not as liquid as the U.S. or maybe not, not liquid at all, but it's they've, they've eased in the U.S. as well. High yield corporate bonds, triple C, and those spreads over, you know, five or 10 year bonds have come in. Um, and so across the board, you're seeing an ease of financial conditions, which would be interesting to see how that's interpreted by the Fed in a couple of weeks. Um, and that's so my point, though. Like, so, you know, we, we go right. from like zero to five percent within a year yeah. you know, for rates for the Americans and you know, the equivalent for the Europeans and, and everyone yeah. else. And to think you can do that and it's such a short time frame and nothing has really happened. Right. You know, except for the mathematical fact on you know, way the way a lot of the data is calculated on the prices side. So, so that's why I'm a bit skeptical that, uh, you know, maybe something will, like, maybe the maybe. Eagles would score ten points. You know, that's. <laughs> but let's, are you let's not surprised? Are you not surprised though? You know, like like this the you know this massive, I mean, the fastest rate hiking cycle. I, I don't know what 50, 40, 50 years. Uh, well, in Canada on since 1995. In Canada, yeah, I mean, there's various ways that people have measured it to say, well, you know, adjusted for debt. This is the tightest, you know, the the, the, the largest hiking cycle, whatever you want to call it. But I mean, basically, you've you've moved rates at an aggressive pace in in less than twelve months on top of global debt GDP at three hundred and sixty five percent, and like. Nothing has really, nothing's really happened. I mean, you know, there's been a bit of a sell-off, you know, there's been a you know, few foreclosures or whatever. Like, are you, are you surprised? I mean, I'm surprised personally that, and maybe we're just waiting for this crescendo and something to go, but it's, uh, I don't know what, what, what's, what, in your opinion, what goes at this point? Like it's, it's, it's been surprising. Like we had that big move in the, in the yen at one point and, the dollar was surging and things looked like they were going to break and then they've kind of eased back off. It's just, yeah, it's really, you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And, and so, so far, so what it's like all clear. Yeah, so what, from an economic perspective and market perspective, it's already happening. So companies are either doing layoffs. Like I, I was chatting with uh, someone yesterday, the day before, and we we're talking about your know, income security, like how, how secure is your income, you know, for your home and, yeah, any layoffs yet at your business and and the business where they were working they said well they just had a round last week and they said hey i survived you know they, they survived that that cut so companies have already have already starting to do that uh, i think rich i think you shared with us recently that operating margins for a lot of companies it's at like historical highs so you you can't get and it's coming higher. off yeah so over all already. that's coming off and and one thing that's it's so different 
and you know people will laugh when they hear this, but it's it's so true. Um, companies run a, a P and L, it's a profit and loss. We want to maximize profits at all time, and if there's a probability that losses are coming, you know you, you tighten things up, you know, quite remarkably. Um, on the government side of the ledger. There's, there's, I don't know, they own, I don't know what they do, but you know, you know, you know, of course, you know, the liberals were in Hamilton this week having a bit of fun with numbers and and some economic fantasy land type narratives. But it's always, you know, spend, 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 borrow, borrow, borrow on, on those guys. But the corporate sector is starting to tighten things up. And if as they continue to tighten things up, it means that there's there's less aggregate income in into the economy, and which of course, you know, it it it, it creates the potential for something to, to come off here. So that's why I continue to be a bit concerned. Um, it's not really well, a can bit I just jump in there. Structured. No, I'm not finished. <laughs> 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 no, but we'll go in. You know, you know, some people were asking us on Twitter, you know, the RBC CEO, he did an interview with, with BNN just a few days ago. So we'll talk about that as well. Like all that is tied together. And, and I, I know how to listen to a CEO interview on mainstream media, and maybe we should get him on here, right? We'll, we'll see how it really turns out. But yeah, let's go, Dave. This, get on this, here. Yeah, there's your invite. Fun. There you go. But that's sort of where we're we're headed in our mind. It's too perfect. Like it's it's now starting to crack a little bit, and it doesn't have to have a big you know a big fissure you know right down the middle you know like a lightning strike line. But you still think are... that comes? Do you still think that comes from Europe? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Or Japan. It can be. But the point is, everything is now. I like to say, risk has been synchronized around the world. I know a lot of foreign managers, and like a lot of them, increasingly now they're calling me say, hey, "What's happening in Canada? This looks like the ultimate, you know, place to make money." And it's on the short side, by the way. They're, they're not looking to go long <laughs> Canada. <laughs> and I say, well, that's interesting because as Canadians, you know, we're looking at other places which might be the ultimate, you know, the, the place to make money on, on the short side. And and that's it, right? Everything is in this moment where, you know, is, is has reality been suspended? Now, I think it's been suspended for about 12 years around the world. I really do, with zero rates and negative rates and, and QE. By the way, one thing the Bank of Canada didn't stop doing yesterday was their Q, their QT, so the quantitative tightening. So they'll continue with that. So that is another form of, you know, tightening, monetary tightening. So if, if they announced they were going to, you know, stop that as well, they knew it would have been a pretty big shock. Rich, what, do you know what the percentage of holdings the Bank of Canada has of, of government debt? I mean, at one point it reached, what, 42 43%? Yeah, it's lower now. I think it's, it's like in, it's was in the it high probably 30s. in the thirties. It's in the high thirties. I can't. I can't. Uh, if you give me a second, yeah, I can yeah. look it up. But it's uh, it's in the high thirties. Um, I was just gonna say, like, uh, I was gonna say to add to Keith's point, which I think is just there's a little bit of patience that I think is required. If you look at the all the academic literature around yield curve inversion, which is something we talked about several months ago, it's always like you know eight to 12 months or 15 months down the line. Um, the similar thing with all the rate hikes, like setting aside the yield conversion, it's like, you know, after your rate hike cycle, it takes a while for that stuff to feed through the economy. Um, and I think that that's like a really important, it's like, you know, I guess we're sort of guilty of it, right? We're always trying to think of the next topic, the next topic. And in a sense, um, maybe we're being a little bit impatient, but I think it's important to recognize that it really genuinely does take you know, six, 12, you know, 15 months for these things to sort of feed through. Um, and in some cases, I don't think they'll feed through at all. I mean, we've talked about housing, household mortgages in the US, you know, that people picked up at 3%. That's not going to necessarily feed through. Um, and so that, that's, I think, is really, really important. Um, and the other thing I would also say is there are some indicators that are clearly negative. I mean, if you look at the Chicago um, PMIs, we talked about a few a little while ago, there's a national activity index that came down. If you look at the, the ISM PMI for services that collapsed last month, you know, we're about, we're going to get, I think the next one is going to be either next week or the week after that'll be, I mean, I think that's a very, very important data point that'll, you know, that's 80% or 75% of the U S economy is services. Um, there are other, I mean, and then also I think was really important is that there's like a push pull and then, and the push is the positivities coming out of China, which is reopening. 
Um, you can clearly see that it's going on in the equity market. Um, the Asia X Japan is now as overbought as it's been in two years with the relative strength index above 70. And we're getting basically not shit data from Europe. So ZEW came out, the sentiment index, Ocentix, um, it's virtually every single European data point over the last little while, like last month or so has actually gone up. And so that might actually delay any of what normally, if it's, this is where I don't necessarily agree with the risk being synchronized because you have now an undesynchronized, um, you know, economic indicators in Europe and in and, and, and China uh, and versus the US. But um, anyway, that's all, that's just want to add to that. So what, what, you're, what you're right about is that if we do not get a recession now this, this year, <coughs> it means it means the system and everything that we've been using is broken. Go that's, on. That's because all indicators suggest strongly suggest we should be having recession, whether it's the yield curve and, and you know, things like that. Yeah. And the fact that you can go from zero to 500 basis points in rate hikes, this an extreme inversion on the yield curve, no matter what part you're looking at. And, you know, economies doing this or that, the housing market getting softer, you know, the global conflict, and there is no recession. I mean, that that gives you something different to worry about altogether. There's two things that are very it hasn't, materially... It hasn't happened before. Right? There's two things that are totally different this time around. And people always say this time is different. Well, this time is really different. Number one, I keep on stressing the tightness of the labor market that we just not have had in literally a generation. Um, the labor shortages, I think, will continue to put upper pressure on wages in, I think, in Europe, in the US. Who knows what's going to happen in China? And that's just something we haven't dealt with that the that's the, the the how acute those labor market shortages and how much that's booing consumers number two um is the amount of money that was pumped into households literally governments printing money and then injecting that directly into a household balance sheet we've talked about low savings rate that's a red herring it's not about that it's about it's not about the flow of savings and stock of savings that is still very 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 high and that acts as a buffer um, and I think the third thing is a little bit of inflation is really, really useful. And it's just, you know, you know, a lot of inflation is bad, maybe not enough inflation is also bad, but a little bit of, of inflation is great. It helps companies increase their margins, pass through cost increases. Um, it helps countries deal with solvency issues. And I think that that's those three things just we haven't dealt with. And that's changing sort of the math and how we assess normal indicators, whether it's low PMIs or, or inverted yield curve, or et cetera. Um, I haven't really fully thought out the rest of it, but those three things are just wildly, wildly different than normal. It, it is rather ironic, though, that you know, inflation was undershooting for over a decade, and central banks were desperate to to conjure up two percent inflation, and then you know the cat got out of the bag and. You know, here we are trying to trying to beat it over the head. You be careful what you wish for. Oh, and by the way, the answer to your question, the BOC currently holds 34.5% of total government bonds outstanding, which is just absolutely bananas, by the way. That's almost on Japan's level. Granted, the bond market here is tiny, but... Uh... Yeah, so it's and I know this Japan's is after... data is, is more, but the, Canadian, the Bank of Canada's number is coming down. It's not a function yeah. that they're, you know, QT is helping a little bit. It's just a yeah. function that Ottawa continues to borrow like a boatload of money. So all that's the time. that's the other thing. So that, the but, really but good back point, to Steve. the comments that you made, Rich. You know, a little bit was right, most of it was wrong. And <laughs> <laughs> I love the shock value, especially watching Steve go. Oh, here we go. Uh, so here we go. But but again, you can't have a continual wage increases. So again, if you're running a company and you have X number of employees. And you have to continually bump up their their uh, wages or salaries or benefits and stuff like that. You have to pass that on to consumers or whoever your end buyer is. If if not, your margins start to shrink, and then pretty soon you're not making any money. Then you got to do layoffs and and so forth. And that that's the point that I'm making. We're, we're at that nth degree now where. It, it cannot get any better. So if people have the expectation that they're continuing to get pay hikes or pay wage increases, um, I don't know how companies are going to be able to do that. Because if they do, it means you know, inflation is going to continue to scream higher. 
So then the central banks, they go, oh, we, we made a we made a mistake here. You know, they start hiking again. And that's my point in that if we don't get a recession come here, that that's where I, that's what I mean by the system is broken and like something is is wrong here. And there's nothing wrong. Things are just been delayed. That, right, but all. that's yeah. that's it. So your failure, your your hearing has failed you again, Keith. Because that that's my that was my point last week, <laughs> and my point again now is not that we're not going to get the recession. Is that I think it just will take a little bit longer than we might have expected, or people like us who are acutely like hyper aware of it. You know, we expect it to happen in Q two. Well, maybe it's Q four. It doesn't mean we're necessarily wrong. It's that you have a bunch of stuff that's helping delaying otherwise what we would call the inevitable. Um, it's it's funny. I'm just looking at a uh, an economic survey here now on, on Bloomberg. Um, anyway, the uh, it, they're surveying economists, right? Uh-oh. Uh oh, not podcast host, <laughs> co-host. <laughs> uh, anyway, the the number is sixty five percent are fully expecting a recession here in in twenty three. This is for the American economy, so you know you can massage that for Canada. I mean, the U.S. has a. Though, it's pretty, pretty, pretty widely telegraphed too. Well, there's, yeah, the New York Federal Reserve has a recession probability indicator that's based on a yield curve model, basically, and it's at forty-seven percent as of yesterday. I don't know what it is today, but it's at forty-seven percent. So fifty-fifty. I mean, it still seems like the, the odds of San Francisco, the odds of San Francisco winning the Super Bowl. It's less. It's. I mean, it's. It's. You know, it's more than that. It's less so. than forty-seven. <laughs> that's right. Um. But let's, why don't we move on, guys? There's loads of other stuff to talk about. <laughs> That's silence. I love it. Uh, <laughs> I want to rebuttal. talk about the uh, RBC CEO interview on, on Bloomberg. Because uh, some people were suggesting there were you know, something going on with it and stuff like that. So, so first of all, for everyone, if, if you're the CEO of a major bank, or any publicly listed company that has traded, and especially a bank, by the way, you can't talk truthiness on an interview. <laughs> you know, you have to be very vanilla, straight down the middle. You can't but come now. out with any, yeah, you can't say anything new or, and stuff like that. Like there is actually rehearsed before you go on with, with your legal department and, and things. And at the same time, whoever you're doing the interview with, you know, again, if you're at the bank CEO level, it, it is with the not just mainstream media, but the very, very big mainstream media. So in this case, it was uh, BNN Bloomberg. Uh, it's agreed beforehand what's going to be discussed and what will not be discussed. So, um, you know, he came out and he said, yeah, you know, we're expecting 25 basis points. And again, that's what the market was expecting. If he came out yesterday and said, yeah, we're expecting 50, you know, the whole world went, oh, wait a second here. You know, they must know something, you know, because they have the biggest mortgage book in the country. Or if they said, you know, something again, something different. So he has to be unshocking. He has to be, you know, bank boring CEO. You know, <laughs> oh, which it was born all right. Yeah, they're they're pretty good at it. Uh, at, at the same time, though, again, they have more access to information than everyone in the country. Um, and it was, you know, you, instead you talk more about you know the acquisition strategy, what they're hoping to achieve. He absolutely he managed to bring the conversation to climate change and how as a bank they see it as being very important yeah of <laughs> course right and then on the other side of it you know you you had the um you know the reporter you know with uh that, that was interviewing him and he's just laying up these softball questions so it it gets headline news coverage when it comes out on social media and everything but you have to be completely shocked if something of substance is going to come out of that interview. And again, if we had him here on the Looney Hour, we'd, we'd have some pretty good questions for him. And uh, you know, it, it'd be fun, right? You, you just want a frank conversation. And um, which sort of leads next into the Bank of Canada presser, because it got a bit it got a bit salty there with, with two questions. Do you remember that, Steve, when you were watching? Yeah, they were uh lobbing a few. I think was it I can't remember who it was. It was it Kevin Carmichael or something. I think he lobbed out the uh question with their balance sheet because I mean there's been a lot of publicity around the Bank of Canada like losing money over the last, you know, what, six, seven, eight months or something. Rich, you, you and I have chatted about this, you know, offline, but you know, happy to chime in there. But Kind of more or less irrelevant. Obviously, the media is playing it up. Um, but I don't know if you want to quickly comment on that. 
Sure. Um, I love any time that people grill central bankers, so I won't, uh, I, I won't, I won't, uh, you know, hold hold it against that that person. I can't remember who it was, but that's a red herring. A central, the central bank is owned basically by the government, so it's like owing your wife five dollars or Mrs. Icecap ten dollars or whatever. I mean, the reality is, is if that if the bank goes into let's say deficit, e.g., it loses money one year, then the central bank just tops it up, and vice versa. When central banks make money, which they have in the past. Uh, and it, as you know, if yields um, come down, they'll make lots of money. And so, um, right, because your yield goes down, your bond price goes up, and whatever. And so you and they remit that those profits to the treasury. Uh, you know, the legal, you know, the legal ease about how who exactly owns it, or how many shares there are, or whatever it is, is 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 an irrelevance. The, the reality is, is it, it's, it's, two, it's two hands in the same person. And, um, and it's just, it, I, I understood why the 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 journalist asked the question but in reality it was just a it's a total non-start it's it's it was a waste of time which is interesting because that kind of leads into the next point which is like so this is kind of largely the whole theory of modern monetary theory right so the the idea is that well the central bank is essentially an, an extension of the you know the federal government that basically the federal government can hypothetically run unlimited deficits and the, the 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 central bank can effectively monetize those debts they can basically come in and, and purchase up those debts and the only thing that restrains uh government spending is inflation that's that's right. modern monetary theory uh, and that you know, with obviously one with one very sorry to interrupt you one very important caveat the way that you so it's all so in in normal what we have now if you want to slow down inflation and slow the economy as Keith has expressed many, many times, is you raise interest rates to basically in, to slow demand and induce a recession effectively. In modern monetary theory, you allow the government to raise taxes in order to slow down the basically demand. But no one's ever going to do that if you're the government because you're not going to punish your electorate and then go to the polls. And then so and so and effectively what you get is Argentina, where you just get lots of printing, no restraint on the budget side and inflation goes to the moon. And this is why no one's talking about modern monetary theory anymore. Um, anyways, it's just I, no, I'm I laughing tried. because it's really funny. I still see some of these quote journalists uh, in Canada still kind of talking about that and lobbying for it and calling for more government help to fight inflation and mail people checks and. Yeah, it's just it's tough to watch. It's it's really painful. I mean, hopefully this is why we you know put the show on. We get a, enough people to to listen, watch, and share it because uh, yeah, there's a lot of very naive people out there. There's so lots of mistakes that central bankers have made, but the idea that they're in theory independent is a crucial crucial point. They are not. They don't suffer the machinations of political will or wind, the wind blowing one way or another. That's why I'm really not happy with Tiff because he sort of moved away from that sort of sacred, um, you know, sacred entente. But sorry, Keith, go ahead. Yeah, a couple of points. One is uh, just about the Bank of Canada. Another one's a, it's a cool conversation to have. Um, when at the Bank of Canada, the presser, when, when that question was, was posed to uh, to the governor, his response immediately was, hey, this is not the platform for this conversation. Do you remember that, Steve? Like he was yeah, very he was like, this is not a this taken. is not about monetary policy, basically. This is Yeah, like he was he wasn't happy with that question. And he was a, immediately defensive about it. Because then all of a sudden, hey, that's been opened up. And then you had to start talking about it and people saying, well, what do you mean you have losses now? Like what what does what does that mean? And and stuff like that. Um, and but then the the other question before that, which is I think there's one that ticked him off. I don't remember who the reporter was, but they effectively said, uh, you know, you, you seem very confident that this is now the right policy move. Yet, uh, you know, two or three years ago, you were also very compliment when you told everyone that rates were going to stay low forever, and that was the wrong policy. You know, he, he really went at him with, with which was a outstanding question that's the kind of question and converse it should be a conversation right 
And he, so he did not like that question. And then he got the one about the balance sheet and losses. So I think his fuse is already lit by this point, but that's what happened. So um, I, I, I can tell you, I'm pretty confident that those two reporters got a, you know, sternly worded email from, from someone uh, afterwards about what was asked. And That's a shame. I hope not. no, no gift basket next next Christmas for Kevin Carmichael. You're not allowed to ask questions like that. Like there are numerous examples of reporters uh, that uh, you know has asked edgy questions to the central bank. Most notably, a few years back, uh, what's the guy saying? Pedro da Costa, I think his name is. Who's I think he's a Wall Street familiar. Journal. Yeah, he he asked the Fed. A, I think it was the Fed appointed question, and. Um, you know, he's he basically had to go radio silent after he was no longer invited. He didn't have access anymore. And it, it basically stopped his career like in, in its tracks. Hey, um, do you do you remember uh, Andrew Bell on BNM Bloomberg? He's a beauty. So he was uh, he was interviewing it was Polos at the time. And he was like, aren't you the candy man? like the guy that's been feeding everyone these low interest rates and and you're basically responsible for creating the the high levels of debt that you've flagged as a inherent financial risk i don't know i thought it was, it was hilarious and what was, was the response uh with, with that uh i mean i think Pelos is like way different than macklin right he kind of like chuckled a bit and was like well yeah i guess we we are definitely partially responsible Right. I mean, you kept rates at zero for for 10 years. Of course, people took on a lot of leverage. Right. So yeah, Pelos, the candy man. <laughs> I mean, of course, they're responsible. It's ridiculous. I mean, anybody who, who would argue that is, is not paying attention. I mean, I, I understand his point about the, the MMT thing. I think he's right. People don't understand how central banks work as far as the remittances, the profits and losses. I think that's kind of that's bullshit. The, the other question, Keith, that's an amazing one. I'm so happy that he asked that. It's like you were wrong about transitory inflation and the litany of other things. What makes you so sure about you being right this yeah. time? I mean, can you tell us how he he responded to that question just or did he just move on? Uh, you know, it's like word salad, you know, that's okay. great. Yeah. That's what I was expecting. And, and so, in his defense, that's He's not going to say, you know what? You're right. We screwed things up. <laughs> and we're just hoping we didn't screw it up again this time. I mean, I'd have more yeah, respect that's... for the guy. I mean, that's why I really like Carolyn Rogers. I know she's the d- deputy governor, but I've heard, I've watched a couple of speeches of hers. And at least she's, a, she's a, like not outright apologetic, but I think she's much, much more. I mean, she's in her speeches and the, the three or four of them that I've watched and read or what have you, she's, it's much clear. It's clear from her that they know they made a mistake. And, and it's funny to me that Tiff is like unwilling to make that call. And I get, maybe that's the difference between the deputy governor and the governor. And maybe that's the, those are their roles. And internally, perhaps that they discussed that beforehand, but it is interesting to see the difference in Carolyn Rogers um, explanation and, yeah. and Tiff. She so, is really uh, rich, rich. You, you know who the most popular player is on a football team? Uh, the another wide receiver. I don't know. Quarterback. The backup. The backup quarterback. Oh, okay. Yeah. Why? Because you're never in the game. You're just here on the <laughs> side. You can do some things, drink some Gatorade, hold the clipboard. I it's think once you job. become my point though with with Rogers, if if she was the head, you're going to see a different. Uh, a, a different tune. She's much more up. articulate. There's, I mean, there's, she's much more articulate. She's just a better, she's better at expressing views and speaking in a, in a what way. What a that great loony hour conversation. Your favorite, like second, third tier <laughs> central banker for like a so, seventh tier central bank around the world. Yeah, who's your exactly. favorite? Who's your favorite backbencher for the Brazilian central bank? <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Guys, I have something more important though to, to talk about. And this is something I think you'll, hopefully you'll gather steam. Um, see, the challenge with our culture today, not only in Canada, but everywhere else, if you think about this, so p- people grow up without having a clue about finances. Like they don't know it. And a lot of people, it doesn't matter if you're in the government side or, you know, in the private sector. Why isn't this being taught in school? This should be taught very soon as you start in primary or kindergarten. You learn a little bit every single year just about budgeting and money coming in and, and stuff like that. And, and it's shocking. You know, kids graduate from high school. They don't have a clue about finances. No clue. Go to university and, you know, still no clue. 
And then all of a sudden, you know, they're allowed to vote, you know, maybe some votes aren't worth as much as others. <laughs> But my Careful point now. though is that he's, Ron DeSantis he's, has introduced this bill, by the way, recently, where they where he's introducing uh, economics and basic like check balancing your checkbook and understanding interest rates and mortgage rates and um and that kind of stuff into the I, I in think the very basic curriculum. household finances should be taught at all I, school levels, and it is. Think, not, I think it's, it's I think it's by design though. <laughs> no, come on. Well, oh. no, I don't know about that. I think then it comes down to you know, okay, who's going to teach it? Right, right, because it's not you have to face it. You know, if you're involved in in that kind of a world, you you tend to gravitate towards you know the private sector, you know the banks and and stuff like that. Uh, but there are ways to do it, right? It doesn't have to be a year long course. But again, my point is that like we teach our kids about money all the time, right? And uh, but I know other families they they don't do it. Like there's no discussion about it, and kids don't have a clue. But it is something that's missing from our education system, and it has to be a part of it. Like when you go to university, you know, you have these like core courses you have to do, and it's, you know, it's economics 101. It should be there. Now, mind you, it shouldn't be taught by a communist either. It should be taught by someone. <laughs> I was actually, waiting for you to say, I was honestly, I'm surprised it took you that long to get there. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I Some of my friends, I call them commies and they, they don't know what I mean, but um, maybe that's what it is. But I, I, that's, that's just a statement. I've, I've always said point. this before, though, which is like, just go to your next family dinner or next time you meet up with your buddies in the hockey team or whatever, just ask them, you know, hey, do you know who Tiff Macklem is? I can guarantee you, like, I, my guess is 90% of Canadians don't know who, who he is. But wait, there's another angle to that. If he's doing his job right, you shouldn't know who he is. That's this is okay. This I is mean, let's thing. just say what does the Bank of Canada do? I okay, fair enough. That's a better I, question, perhaps. I think the vast majority of Canadians would struggle to answer that question, which is a, a very interesting because ultimately these people are the I mean, he's responsible for, for setting the price of money. It's that simple. Yeah, it's true. And so uh, my, my son had to write a, a paper about European history and, and stuff like that recently. And the uh, the topic was broad, whatever he wanted to choose. Guess what? He's, guess what he wrote about, Rich? The euro? <laughs> he did. Well done. <laughs> the euro and the ECB and everything. And uh, yeah, I got an A well, on maybe, that paper. I did a good job. Well, maybe we, for should, it. we should talk. Uh, we should. Did you write it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no. I'm always like. So funny. I'm always out there explaining to people like, you know, when they're going to make like, you know, house purchases, I mean, in Vancouver, you know, a million dollar house purchase is very common. I mean, given where prices are at. So, you know, people are about to make a million dollar investment and, you know, just explaining, you know, variable rate mortgages versus fixed rates and how, because you know what I mean? Like people are like, well, the Bank of Canada's stopped raising rates I hear. So that's a good, I mean, then they have to explain, well, you know, like fixed rates have already started to move because it's already stopped the bomb. Like people don't, it's interesting, right? I mean, again, you're about to make a million dollar investment and people don't really know the mechanics of, you know, mortgage rates and how they function and, and product type and all that other stuff. I mean, that's partly our job, obviously, to explain it to people. But, you know, it's just interesting that people just kind of plow in and, and um, yeah, there's just not a real strong grasp of financial literacy in the country. Well, I mean, Keith, can we segue into Europe for a second? Because Keith mentioned Euro and uh, he's convinced that the Euro is going to not last very long. Um, I actually think it's going to, I think what we've seen actually is the fact that Germany's done, has such a bad couple of years actually makes the Euro stronger. But one thing I think is, but I mean, that's maybe a conversation for a different day. What I think is is, is important to note is that as we've seen with the risk on in, in China and Asian markets, we've seen um, a lot of the European data has actually come in really, really strong the last few weeks. So we've got ZEW, which is a German institute similar to the PMI and ISM. Um, that came out strong. We've got Centix, which is another sort of investor sentiment. That's rebounded. The current account balance, which was negative um, for the first time, I think in something like 30 or 40 years for Germany is now positive. Same with the euro area. It's bounced hard. Um, and I think that that's so, you know, 
maybe uh, rumors of the Euro's death were greatly exaggerated, Keith? Um, or are you dun, still dun, absolutely dun. convinced it's over? Don't get him going. Dun. Don't get him going. Dum, dum. I think you should run out and put all your money in European I banks. Come on. You'll that's make bad risk kill. management. <laughs> Keith, that's bad risk management. And I, I don't mean in the equity markets. Just put them in there in the basement of the banks. and mm, It's bad risk you management. Know you know what? Everything is having a, a bounce here right now but nothing absolutely nothing has changed for the long-term outlook for the eurozone and the same with japan as well like these guys that they're, they're backed into this corner and um it's it's impossible so the only way that would make life a whole lot better for the eurozone would be if they uh consolidated all the federal debt they're, they're going all, to eventually that's eventually what's going to happen yeah i would not be don't hold your breath on that. Well, do you know? Do you know they, what happened in South America? Do you know what's happening in South America? They're going down. Do you know? Have you heard? No. Nope. What's What's happening? Brazil and Argentina want to create their own currency union. <laughs> I saw something like that. What is Which the story is fascinating. behind that? So basically, they want to basically create. A, I don't know. We'll call it the Pele, which is uh, it's a, it's a currency that it's basically they want to create a currency block, um, and the currency block will be Argentina and Brazil. And I mean, I, I mean, I, to me, the writing would be on the wall. They would include, you know, Uruguay or whatever, all the neighbors or whatever. Um, and I think what they wanted to do is make it basically commodity backed alternative to the euro or the dollar. So despite all the euro's misgivings, it's one of the most important reserve currencies in the world. The U.S. is about 55 percent of global foreign currency reserves are U.S. dollar. Then it's about 14 or so for I want to say euro. And then next is the yen. Um, the renminbi is very, very small and Canada is really small and there's a couple other whatevers. Um, and they and, you know, there's been some pushback from emerging markets, whether it's Saudi Arabia, China, certainly Iran um, and a bunch of other emerging market countries that want to move away from the U.S. dollar as the main trading currency for goods and services, but mostly goods and certainly commodities and especially oil. And Brazil and Argentina have been floating this idea to create this new currency, which I'm now coining the Pele, um, and uh, and and basically have it a commodity, uh, com more or less a commodity-backed currency union between Argentina, which, by the way, is, makes Europe look like <laughs> look, look 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 makes Europe look positively sane with all its horrific um, economic policy over the last hundred years, um, and they would be joined up with Brazil, and the two of them. Um, would have their own currency block um, and to rival whatever the euro, et cetera. I think it's a really fascinating story, something to watch going forward. I think it's totally bogus, of course. It'll never work, but it is interesting. Maybe we should put some of our loony hour reserves in there. <laughs> <laughs> no. Do you like the name though, Keith? That's a good name, no? Yeah, I do like the name. I think it's really so, good. <laughs> so Keith, just to summarize here, we're wrapping up the show, but just to summarize... Um, because I, I, I think there's a lot of confusion in markets right now. There's confusion around the housing market in Canada. You know what's happening. There's confusion in equity markets. You know we were told this big recession's coming. Your view is still this is a bear market rally, and you know again I think it's important to to sort of put into context you know time horizons as well. I mean I think you could make an argument that you can you could trade around here. Uh, but I think if you're, you, you know, if you have a sort of a more longer term outlook, you are still of the view that, uh, there's more downside coming at the end of this. This is a, this is sort of a bounce. Yeah. It's, it's still our, um, we think the probability of equity seeing lower levels from here are, are a lot higher than what the market is currently saying. So we continue to move along this, this path and like things can change. Absolutely. But um, again, things are set up to come off a little bit I, because at the next schedule, we're just getting companies now are reporting and they're starting to warn. So then maybe, you know, we got the Fed next week and, you know, they're going to some people think they only have 25 basis points left in them. I think they have at least 50. So, you know, you, we're going to continue to go back to this story where we're headed. But yeah, that, that's our uh, response to it. But you think you about that, like over the last, I mean, like we added long bonds to our portfolio about five months ago now, four, six, I don't know what, what it is. Um, and it was on the expectation that the recession story would start coming into play. And, and that's, that's happening, right? Like that, if you've been in the, in the 10 year over the last, again, I'm going to say three to five months, I think 
you've probably made five to eight percent on that trade, depending on, on your entry point, which really goes to, so that, so I, I bring that up because that's the path back then that we thought we would go on. And as of today, that continues to be the path, you know, that we're going on. So for when, so when you're managing uh, portfolios, you get a whole bunch of different markets you're, you're looking at all the time and you have your overriding expecta- expected path where we're going to go economically and financial markets reacting and, and stuff like that with it. And all I'm saying is that that hasn't changed for us as of right now. And so uh, again, like the big one now would be the Fed coming out next week and then we'll, you know, make adjustments from there. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good way to wrap it up. Um, as always, we appreciate your guys' support here on the Looney Hour. Uh, all we ask is that you uh, leave us a five-star review on uh, Apple Podcasts there or Spotify. Um, you know, continue to boost us up in the algos and continue to grow the Looney Hour community. Share us with one friend or family member. And we'll see you next week.